What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 187. This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. By now, hopefully you've listened to the show enough to know that we are big fans of Dream Symbols, um, especially if you want a... Well, you know what? I'm going to stop saying that. They have they have everything in their catalog, so just go to Dream Symbols' uh, Facebook page, their YouTube page, their website. Check out what they got. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff. I have my personal favorites, which are in the Thinner Bliss Contact Vintage Bliss series, but the Energy series is great. The Dark Matter series is great. There's some funky special effects. Check out some Dream stuff. And if you're listening to this prior to April 13th and you are in Connecticut, they are having a Dream Hang at Parkville Sound Studios. Again, that is on April 13th. Looks like it's a 12 to 3 p.m. event, so get over there, hang out. Um, check out some symbols there. I believe they're going to be offering everything there for sale as well. Uh, Scott Pellegrim's going to be there to play and demo, and you can also jam and play along. It's, it's an informal hang, so if you're in Connecticut on April 13th, go to the Dream Hang at Parkville Sound Studios, RSVP at the Facebook event on Dream Symbols' Facebook page. All right. Our intro beat is, this is from Rory. So this is a piece that he is titled... Cinco Trace because it goes from 5-4 to 3-4. The melody is played on a tongue drum uh, that's been processed and he's playing some rototoms that have been detuned while he's playing them. All kinds of cool stuff. There's some tabla, congas, doombeck, shakers, other percussion. Um, the gear is a Luca Solid Shell Maple Drum Kit, which I've never heard of. It sounds great. So this is Rory and let's get the episode rolling. episode is this dude we are at episode 187 we were coming up on 200 i guess this summer we'll have to do something special to, for 200 yeah man and you know me and you we won't do anything special at all i'll we'll just talk about how we we're going to do something special <laughs> 13 and then weeks the, from now we should plan something at the last minute we'll both be like uh why don't you give him a year of modern drummer i'll give him a year of mike's lessons I, uh, yeah what's up guys hope you're doing well mike and i are here we're back and we're talking about a bunch of stuff today. The duality of 16th note meters. If you struggle with odd meters, this is going to be an awesome little section for you. I think most of us, when we talk about odd meters, go straight to something divisible by 8, 7, 8, 5, 8. But when you get into 15, 16, 17, 16, that's when the fear kind of sets in. And we're going to discuss it. Uh, an article by Aaron Edgar makes it much easier to understand. We're going to check out Josh Groban's Kaz Rodriguez. If you haven't seen Kaz play... If you th- if you watch the wrong Instagram video, you're going to think, oh, he's one of those Instagram chop blazers. But then you watch the other Instagram video and you go, oh, I guess he's just a pocket guy. And then you read somewhere in the middle and he can kind of do it all. And he's an amazing writer as well. So we'll talk about him. And then we're going to review some candy, uh, the Westwood series from RBH Drums. So we have a lot of stuff to get to. Yeah, first we have Am to. Am I done uh, now? Can I bail? Done. Well done. Sweet. <laughs> Almost like we didn't plan it that way. Not at all. <laughs> We get to uh, announce our winner for the cat uh, multi-pet giveaway from a couple weeks back. So the winner is, um, maybe you've been notified already, but if not, Joe Zalegko from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Congratulations, Joe. If you haven't heard from us, you get the uh, cat multi-pad, uh, four-pad, trigger-pad thingy. Congratulations. Boom. I feel like we got all the business out of the way. Yeah, Let's have some fun. Air some dirty laundry. What do we want to do? Yeah. Let's go full <laughs> drum troll on this thing. 
Let's get crazy. Oh, my. Let's not go Good. there. All right. Moving forward. <laughs> Moving forward. Hello. Uh, so, talk to me. You had a gig, and you experienced something that all of us... <laughs> hold it together, Dawson. You experienced something that all of us experience, which is singer-songwriter, band leader, whoever, has a tempo in their mind because of the moment. Yes. And then they force that on you, even though you know it's wrong. Unfortunately, that happened, and I and I kind of... I should have seen. I should have been able to read the tea leaves because the singer was a little nervous beforehand, and I and and we started out with um, two kind of moody, more mellow, vibey songs. Are these and, covers or originals? Uh, originals. These are originals. Okay. Really cool. I mean, great, great artists, great band. Super. I mean, the the gig was actually really awesome. But this was the one thing that that kind of st- stuck in me was. You know, we got halfway through the first song, and I could tell she she was just nervous, so her voice was kind of a little tight. So what's what's that mean? We're we're playing too slowly because she's feeling like she's struggling to sing. So I started to get the uh, the the swirly hand behind the back speed up motion. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like oh okay, I'll give you I'll push a little bit, but then then it just kept happening. I'm like oh no, here we go. So between every song, it was the same kind of thing. Like, hey, let's just pick this one up a little bit. Let's pick this one up a little bit. I knew it was wrong, but I went with it because I'm hired gun. I listened to the recording, and it's obviously way too fast. Like, damn it. I let myself succumb to it. I had a click there. I mean, I know exactly what the song's supposed to be. (laughs) Get in your head, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, you know? I mean, there's been some power surges. Maybe the click is just a little wonky. So in a situation like that, if you had to go back and do it again, I mean, you're still in the same predicament where it's not your band, it's not your gig, you're hired, you're getting paid to be the musician. Do you think it's something where you almost have to earn the right with the artist through hundreds of gigs that they trust you? to be able to speak up or cause I mean, if you speak up on gig one, I mean, obviously you're going to be the jerk, even if you're right. Yeah. I mean, I was able to even on stage when she was like, Hey, can we try this a little faster? I'm like, we can, I mean, this is where it is, but we, we can. So I was trying to be political about it. And hopefully she sees the recordings and realizes that it was just a little bit too fast. Cause the first, the first song that she gave me the speed up signal when I listened to that recording, it felt great. It was right in the pocket, <laughs> you okay. know. But she, I, yeah. she was just nervous. So I know that happens when you're singing and it's, you're singing like mellow, kind of vibey stuff. Your vocal cords kind of tense up, and you feel like the, sure. the, you're in slow motion because you can't get the notes out. And that's so we probably should have started with a more up tempo, kind of just fun song, and it would have sure. kind of broken the ice instead of doing this like really dark, kind of moody opening track. But either way, it was fun. I think it just reaffirmed that every gig I'm going to have a metronome there just because I need to know for myself, like, did we at least try to start correctly or was I just feeling everything too slow? And I wasn't. Metronome doesn't lie. No. it's uh, You you just drop a uh, one, two, three, four like that on her (laughs) and see how she handles that. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I, kind of have – I even, like, researched it. Like, why do bands – play songs faster live i mean i can see if there's a reason for it but this was like kind of trip hop kind of music that if it's too fast and it's out of the pocket but it it is a weird phenomenon that in the moment multiple people in a band can all agree like this is right on and Mm -hmm. then you go watch the tape and you're like 
what? Yeah, How? so fast. <laughs> That's 15 BPM. That's a shocking amount. Because you know when you're in a studio, like I've been in the studio where we were kind of at the end of writing or polishing the song. And with the producer, we're like, well, 82 is dragging. Can we try 83? Mm. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that's the sweet spot. One BPM. Yeah. But live, it's like 80, 82 is dragging. Can we try 250? <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it was a shocking I was jump. even wondering, like, maybe she doesn't mean faster. She just means, like, louder or something. Like, is there something giving her a busier an insecurity of, of what's going on? Sure. I couldn't I couldn't remedy it. And then by the end of the is this set, something? Is this someone you'll be gigging with in the future, too? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Okay. She, she oh, might, so it really was just a hired one-off yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. It might okay. be a case where she'll remember me as the drummer who played too slowly. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's it's. I mean, what a fight that we all have to do between the ego of being right and actually knowing, especially when we have a metronome next to us, we're like, no, it's it's not my opinion anymore. This is factually correct. Yeah. And then, but I'd also like to work with you again. So you're right. And it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I found myself in those positions enough and failed that challenge mm-hmm. where like, I was like, I will throw a symbol stand at your face. Yeah. This, you know, yeah, and I, I was like, okay, I'm not cut out for this. That doesn't bother me anymore. Cause it's, I, I'm trying to feel empathy for the person up front. Like if it, sure. if it feels slow, it feels slow, but, right. but I don't, I'm not going to like in mid verse, bump it up like five or six clicks. I might give you one yeah. or two. But then the problem is the next song, it's immediately a little bit faster, and the next song is a little By the time we got to the end of the set where there is an up-tempo kind of jammy tune, we were playing mm-hmm. it, like, so fast. It felt like the, like it was just sped up. The guitarist couldn't even get his, like, disco riff happening. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> but, yeah, whatever. Uh, That's my grumpy old man speech. I'm off. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm Mr. Dawson. <laughs> Love it. Uh, oh, Damn. <laughs> Write her down. <laughs> Almost had a cusp on there. I, I think I had sympathy pains. It's like you punched me in the face. I just dropped the iPad straight into the green tea <laughs> by pulling on my in-ear. So, like, it hurt me. Your forehead hit the cup on the tea. Uh, no one cares. Let's talk Anyways. about the duality of 60th note meters. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that that is something we should definitely talk about. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, I think that when we start thinking about 7, 8, 5, 8, uh, 9, 8, especially 7, 8, and 9, 8, it feels kind of comfortable to subtract or add an eighth note to your 4, 4 groove. And it almost makes sense in our heads. But then as soon as you get into 17, 16, it seems like such a massive amount of time to keep track of. And it's not. Uh, it's it's a 16th note less than 9-8. So it's mm. not a massive <clears throat> amount to keep track of. But I think what Aaron gets at really well in this article is the idea that any time signature can be 4-4 four, four, plus or minus. right? Yeah. So you can feel 17-8 as 4-4 four, four and add one 16th note. You add almost like adding a hiccup at the end. And I think that he he shows, does a really good job showing that in his videos as well. How it, it's not that it's simple, but it's not as complex. Keeping track of seventeen individual sixteenth notes is mm. a lot harder for me than adding one sixteenth note to the end of my normal groove that I've played my whole life. Yeah, how'd you even count it? I mean, once you get into double no, syllable, I don't. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Like seven it's, is hard enough. What do you do with exactly. 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, 17. 14, 15, <laughs> 16, 17. No, it's it's. 
And then if the tempo is up, not fun. So, uh, so he does a great job of showing us like a basic funk beat and then taking it into 15, eight by chopping off the last 16th note, 15, 16, 15, 16, excuse me. And so it's just really understanding. I think one thing that would help a lot of people is if they understood that four, four is 16, 16. Yeah, right. That's true. So it's like you're already playing this, yeah. you know, and now it, but when we hear that number in the bottom 16, it's like, oh gosh, I'm not into Prague. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but so what, I mean, we, I definitely want to discuss the article and what Aaron's doing, but I do have a question for you. Okay. In your journey on this, did you, do you find use for time signatures like this personally or, was it something as you're coming up and you're hearing about all these different prog time signatures, like, well, I have to play in 1716 because it's hard. Like I, I, since I'm not a composer, I've personally never composed something in my mind, then reverse engineered it and realized, oh, that was in 2116. Mm. I mean, it, I guess starting in late high school, college, I was playing a lot of fusion you know, different bands really being ambitious. We'd play some odd Vishnu stuff. So I kind of had to know like 19 and 17. Um, but actually more recently, a lot of these electronic composers I'm working with, they just write stuff that's weird. Okay. And, and sometimes they don't even tell me what the time signature is. It could be 15. It could be a combination of time signature. So for me, putting in the, the time in the woodshed, just figuring these things out mathematical and then how do I feel them like when those tracks come in, my goal is to how do I make this fifteen to sixteen thing feel smooth, like a like a hip like a trip hop track or something, right. while this baseline is on all this crazy stuff. So I've kind of internalized. My goal was to internalize the weirdest stuff. So then when it's, someone gives it to me, it doesn't. I don't have to figure it out. So I'm not practicing in order to play the track. It's like okay, this isn't fifteen. Cool. What's the pattern going to be? Let's just do it. So it does yeah. happen more than more than I thought it ever would. I thought it just would have been college playing in a fusion band, trying to do the hardest music on earth and then never come back to it. But it seems like now with the way, at least in electronic music, it's being composed, all bets are off. It could be anything, which is cool. Yeah. And I think that that's the most practical use of this that our listeners would run into would be something where a singer songwriter has written a piece of music with no thought of music theory, no thought of time signatures. It's just, this is what I heard in my head and I played it. I mean, that's, I think the first time that that concept came to me was through a modern drummer article with Carter Beaufort saying that mm-hmm. Dave writes and I figure out what time it's in, but yeah. Dave doesn't come to me and say, Hey, I want to do a song in 11. Yeah. Right. You can he hear that. Happen to write the part. I, think, I feel like yeah. you can hear when bands do that. Like here's our song in seven. Here's our song in 13, right. which is, cool it's not i would rather just hear a, a bass line or a, a keyboard part that just happens to have an odd grouping in it rather than because i feel like if you write if you say i'm going to write something in seven at least from what i imagine i would do i would pick a grouping and then force the notes to fit in it rather than come up with a cool line and just let it go and to an odd area and figure it out later I would think seven is two, two, three, or something. I would pick some sort of predetermined grouping. Predetermined, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, 
Now, do we want to drop in a, a little chunk of Aaron doing some of this stuff so people can hear what it sounds like when he chops off a 16th note yeah, or so adds do, a 16th note? We'll do the – so example one is him just playing in 4-4. So we'll drop that in, and then we'll drop in example two, which is him playing the exact same beat but cutting off the last 16th note. I feel like to me that is like step one. How do you figure out how to play in fifteen? Right. The first thing to do is just cut a right. sixteenth note and you just play the way you played. But, but the problem for me is that always has that feeling like you're cutting something off. Like it right. doesn't. It's not a, no to me. It's not a. It. It, yeah, and it's not a phrase in fifteen. Uh, it like you said, it feels like it was meant to be four, four clearly. And then there was this hiccup to it. Now, if that's your goal is that every single bar you want your audience to fall down, <laughs> that's fine, but you can compose something in fifteen sixteen that doesn't have a hiccup because the way you compose it, it actually flows in fifteen sixteen. So one device that I do for this to kind of help is instead of having the truncated grouping, the three note grouping at the end, just move it back to B3 or B2. And automatically, for me, that makes the whole thing feel smoother because the, the confusing part happens in the middle of the measure and then you're back to just playing a groove. So one, two, da, da, one, two, one, two, da, da, one, two. So I don't think he goes into that in this article. No, he doesn't. And but he's at home be, right now just screaming at his speaker like, I could. I could easily do that, guys. Well, I mean, I think this this article goes into great depths of what happens when you cut a note off, off at the end or add a note at the, at the end to create right. you know, these, these odd groupings. But I think phase two would be take example two in this article, move that three-note grouping to beat three, and then figure it out. Move it to, group, to beat two and figure it out. Move it to beat one and figure it out. It's still the same 15 notes. It's still the same basic pattern. Um, but that helps me get away from that. Everything feels like I'm splicing the end of the, the groove off. Yeah. And you can also play this stuff more melodically and less backbeat driven so that it really does feel like a, an, a phrase that happens to be in 15. It doesn't have to be two backbeats for every bar to get that weird feeling. You can change that you can only have one backbeat uh i mean there's a band called hundred waters that i think is amazing they're kind of like a like a modern trip-hop band but they're amazing at doing odd time stuff that doesn't feel odd time at all and it's not because they're doing like a implied quarter note pulse over the top it's just they just happen to write legitimately in those time signatures and they don't try to make it feel odd it's just like it just happens to be composed in 15 or in 17 so I think that for any of you that are just feeling good with 7-8, feeling good with 9-8, definitely the things in, with 4 on the bottom, 3-4, 5-4, If you're ready to get into the bottom number being 16, I think Aaron's article is fantastic for that because just that mindset of, well, I can just play what I've always played and add one 16th note, <clears throat> that gives you the, 
Uh, isn't that what pretty much what Vinny was doing on I'm Tweaked? Yeah, you know, I've never been able to figure that thing out. Yeah, I mean, I just know that at some point I have to reset my yeah. head. Yeah, <laughs> I'm bobbing my head. Everything's good. Then I'm like, and we're back. There we go. And I'll be here for a while, and then he'll drop another one out. So it it's a great way to think of it. So check out Aaron Edgar's article. Uh, the article is called The Duality of 16th Note Meters. It yeah. is in the current issue of Modern Drummer with... Somebody on the cover that plays with pink, and his name is Mark Shulman. Holy yeah, crap! Yeah. So the the article that. obviously starts very basic, but it's not a basics piece. So it, by the end of it, he's playing some wicked stuff in twenty nine sixteen, twenty three sixteen, twenty one sixteen with two hi hats. So it goes quickly into like really high level challenging stuff. But I think he outlines the premise very clearly in the beginning. So like I said, you could just, you could stick on the first six exercises and I think live on that for a while. Yeah. Cause you have to stay with these time signatures until you hear them properly. Yep. You know, if what I wouldn't want to do is play actually in four, four and then go four E and a guh. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't want to yeah. add something. I, mean, I want to hear it. I want to hear that start over point. I want to get smooth with it. I want to hear what it sounds like with an implied quarter note pulse or an eighth note pulse over the top of it. So I'm going with and then against. And the biggest thing, too, is everything that we learned in 4-4 as young drummers growing up, you have to do this here. So once you get these grooves down, can you leave the groove for four bars and improvise and come back? Yeah. Or are you stuck in that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or are you stuck in that groove? Then to me, you don't have a groove down until you can leave it and come back to it. And when you come back to it, you're on it. If it takes you half a bar to reset, you still don't have that groove down yet. Yeah, I don't know how I would solo in fifteen sixteen at this point. I would probably cheat and double it and then just play in 4-4. Four, four. Like, not 4-4, four, four, but what would that be? That would be 6-4? What would that be if you doubled it? So 30-16? Yeah, what you're would on that your be? Own, bro. <laughs> you know what care. I mean? So it's, no, you have to... <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> no, that wouldn't even work either. No, no you'd have to keep going until... Those, yeah. yeah. I, I think if I had to solo in fifth... If, in fifteen sixteen, yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, at this point where I'm at with the stuff, it would be you'd probably I'd have to disguise where the one is, but I'd re- be resetting every bar. I wouldn't be flowing. Yeah, I think I'd be you know? aiming for that um, that reset point, which which I would hear in my head is the uh of four, but then that just immediately becomes one. So one, exactly. two, three, four, on two, four, on Yeah, I would always be aiming for that, which. That would take me a Anybody while. I need a not. new ringtone. Mike and Mike. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, but when I'm when I do that, I just know in my head, whatever you do, do not hit a crash symbol there. So I would reset. I just wouldn't let the audience know that it was a reset. You know, it might be a reset, but with a a buzz stroke on my snare or a floor tom hit, but it wouldn't be. Every measure. It's right here. It's right here, guys. <laughs> That's what it would not be. Uh, all right, so check out that article, current issue of Modern Drummer, the duality of 16th note meters. Now, someone that has clearly struggled in odd meters for a long time, I mean, it, it's just not his thing, Kaz Rodriguez. <laughs>
Poor guy. Poor guy. I mean, talk about being stuck in quarter notes your whole life. This dude, dude is I mean, he came dragging. out of nowhere for me. Maybe he had a whole other world going on, but it came out of nowhere for me, like with uh, social media. Another success of, of YouTube and social media just making right. someone who isn't really familiar with the UK scene, what's going on. And this dude just pops up. I'm like, man, he's fully formed badass. Like, who is this dude? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, when you see like clinic tour, Kaz Rodriguez and Ana Canillas, it's like, ah, oh, poor guy. He's just going to get mopped up, keep yeah. them off the stage together. And then you see him on stage together and you're like, Oh goodness gracious. <laughs> dude is clearly holding his own with, with anybody. So, but when you see that, then you immediately in your head need to tell yourself, well, that's all he can do. Because the only way I can go to sleep at night is knowing that all he can do is that. And then you see, like, wait, who's he on tour with? Josh Groban. What? Yeah. yeah that's that Josh Groban? Kind of unexpected. But, I, I mean, I guess Josh, I mean, Josh is a drummer, right? He must must be just a fan of having just insanely talented drummers in his band. He's had Blair Sinta and... Oh, yeah, that's um, right. What's his face? <laughs> yep, what's his face? That guy was man. How many times what's his face been on the cover? Oh, that's so insulting. You know, I'm talking about Dave Desenzo. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> brother Dave, he was with Josh Groban too. Yeah, for a while, a couple tours. Oh, man, I believe that's some, that's some big shoes to fill. Yeah, so I think he's you know he's eyeing for like who's who's the most badass drummer I can find that can handle this gig, and that's wow. Kaz at the moment. Yeah, man. Uh, it was, I mean, really cool article. If you guys haven't uh, read the article, even though you guys listen to the podcast, please check out this feature on Kaz because, I mean, immediately I felt like I knew so much more about him just from reading the article, especially the way that uh, that he sees colors for sound and the way that he internalizes music and all of that. Did he yeah. did he say in the article that he got stabbed? Yeah, how crazy and is then, that? His synesthesia and then he was in a coma? Yeah, was onset by getting stabbed and, and coming out of a coma. Do you just kind of like, well, they, you know, oh yeah, I, I was in a coma after being stabbed and now I It's a very short it. line. <laughs> like uh, as I was reading the article, it wasn't like it went into it was it was kind of like, yeah, no, I've just always seen things in colors and then when I got stabbed it got worse anyways. So my rack tom <laughs> not seeing is, colors, hearing colors. <laughs> Whatever. I'm hearing colors, seeing colors. So here's here's my question. Uh, I had a question. I don't know. What it was, was good. It? That's I don't know. It was good, Apparently man. Elvin Jones had it as well. Like he he okay. saw colors with his ride symbols. Really? So didn't see colors, you hear colors. I can't even like rationalize how it how it works. How do you hear colors? Like actual no. colors. How does a sound? I'm so make artistic. You- I've actually surpassed that. <laughs> I feel colors. I hear them so, black and white. That's for sure. <laughs> so what I was going to say though is that what I found really interesting about this is instead of seeing that as anything negative or whatever, as it became worse after his uh, short coma and being stabbed, and I guess I'm saying as it became worse, he sees it as becoming better because he's getting to use it more then he goes and researches it to find out that we all are born with it and we lose it over time and now he's leveraging this thing to be to to his advantage because he's a drummer and he's a musician and he's learning songs faster by separating them into colors and yeah, he's writing songs based off cool. of conversations that he's having with people based off of colors 
it's a really fascinating article. I just wonder if he's walking down the street and he just everyone's voice just is a different different color and is it like you, you can't talk to someone because they just sound like poop brown. <laughs> right, I was gonna say yeah. It's just like oh, you're so taupe. You're so taupe. Oh, well, you're like a like the hallway of a red roof inn. I can't talk to you. <laughs> I can't do it. Get out of my face. Look at my V-neck. I rule. I don't think he's like that. We're, we're inventing a personality for one of the... Like? <laughs> Dude, don't you know that? No. All red roof in a hallway. Man, well, that's what my writer says. My writer on my clinic writer says, red roof in or higher, meaning like I will, if, uh, okay. if that's all you can afford is a red roof in, <laughs> that's fine. But... I can tell you this, not a lot of drum shops are like, well, we'll do the higher. <laughs> They're like, oh, red yeah, roof yeah. in it is. <clears throat> so um, you know the, the hallway color. I know, very I know well. the taupe. Yes, I know the like? taupe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can tell you that I can damn near hear those hallways and see them. Oh, and it's, it's, it's not good. Anyways, that is like the smallest part of this. What a lot of people don't know is if you knew who wrote the tracks that you're hearing on Instagram when drummers are just blazing chops all over the place, he's the one providing those tracks for other drummers to play on. Yeah, that was originally what made me uh, want us to feature this feature. Kaz was just his. He kind of came again, came out of nowhere, composing original pieces of music for Aaron Spears and all these world class clinicians, and you could tell that he wrote the piece of music specifically for that player's strong you know his, their strengths so what is you know what are they really good at and i'm going to write something that incorporates that so it's like there's all these little it's almost like the best practice tracks you could ever think of because this one might be focused on bass drum this one might be focused on fills this one might be focused on hi-hat or there might be just sections of each track that has different drummer kind of focused concepts but it still sounds like a finished piece of music I'm really impressed with the tracks he's created. Yeah, I think it's like next level play alongs. I love that his first set of play alongs, he purposely didn't play on them because he felt that then he'd be sent to setting the template for what everyone else should do. But he wanted them to have a blank canvas to create on top of, which is amazing. Cause when you hear those tracks and you see Aaron play on them or you see Annika play on them, uh, you might think, well, the guy that wrote this probably couldn't play like that. But mm. he can he can blaze these tracks harder than anyone, so it's it's pretty incredible. Um, I, he's one of the current groupings or current crew of modern drummers that I haven't had a chance to do any events with yet. But I'm really looking forward to meeting him and getting to know him because, uh, especially after reading this article, I mean that's what's so cool about modern drummer uh, podcasts like this or po- all the drumming podcasts is it gives us a chance to get to know people where. Maybe on their social media, they're just mainly playing, and so mm-hmm. we're not really getting to know them. I mean, I, I never would have known how he sees the world without this article. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And what I kind of pulled from it for my own selfish uh, uses was that compose some music. If you have something you're practicing, for instance, the fifteen sixteen beats or the seventeen sixteen beats, it really doesn't take much to open up GarageBand or Logic or or ableton whatever you have just start programming some things because especially like i just messed around with ableton this morning um i've been doing a thing where i turn my drum tracks into midi and then i assign synths to those midi tracks and just randomly and i might make it like nothing but a minor scale or something so there's like this this robot 
bass part that now follows my bass drum perfectly and it's in a predetermined key and all of a sudden I've got something that sounds super funky like I'm playing with Tim right. LaFave or something. Right. So there's all I think there's really no excuse anymore. So if it's like something you're practicing, you don't have anything to apply it, just open up GarageBand or something. Just just click in some MIDI notes that follow whatever it is you're working on. You yeah, can and just he, program the beat you're playing and just put a synthesizer on it instead of a drummer. Yeah, he even talks about in the piece about how he's like, I don't have perfect pitch. I don't have a ton of music theory on that side of things. I just know what sounds right and what sounds wrong. So I just write things that sound right. Yeah. And I know if a note's wrong or not. And I think, honestly, even if you've never taken any music lessons, most humans can tell like that's not the right note. So go yeah. to the next one. Go to the next one. Yeah, and there's so many tools now. I mean that that's it kind of makes it to the point where you don't really need to learn music theory. It helps. But if you can just open a template that's an arpeggiator and it's gonna take your you, you input a C a C chord and it's gonna just turn that into a whole sequence of of chords. Then you just kinda of mess around with it. That's kinda of where I'm at at the moment and it's super fun and, and I think Kaz was a big inspiration for that. Like, just just create stuff. Make your own stuff. Awesome. Well, guys, go check out Kaz Rodriguez. Uh, he's an absolutely amazing player and a ton of social media. So you can find him on Instagram. You can find him all over YouTube. And so check him out and uh, and read the article if you get a chance. It's, he's uh, got a feature in the current issue of Modern Farm. All right, now it's time to hear a little word from our sponsor. Yes, again, this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. I want to remind you that hopefully you're listening to this prior to April 13th if you live in Connecticut because Dream is coming to Parkville Sound Studios in Hartford. They'll be there on the 13th, Saturday the 13th, from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., bringing a bunch of symbols. Scott Pellegrom is going to be their demo stuff. Um, so go down there, hang out, check out the symbols. You probably want to end up buying something on the way out the door. Um, and also make sure you just you follow them on Facebook for future events. They might be coming to your town. So go, you know, Dream Symbols on Facebook. They have events page with upcoming events, so on and so forth. Anyway, thanks, Dream, for sponsoring. And uh, let's talk about some gear. Okay, now it's time to talk about a drum kit that, um, spoiler alert, I bought it. It is mine. I own it. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? This is the exact kit that we're featuring um, that I played at PASIC in November. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's an RBH Westwood series kit with a champagne sparkle finish. Um, and yeah, it was a kit. If anyone was at PASIC, it's the one I used there. And uh, when I showed up to PASIC, I just took the drums out of the cases, put them on stage, and, and played them. I never even tuned them. I tuned the snare drum up a little bit. That was it. Really? Yeah, but immediately afterwards, I'm like, hey, I should probably... Um, first review this kit and then i'm gonna buy it so cool send it my way so yeah this, wow. is, this is my kit one of my kits um so the westwood series is uh it's a it's still handmade bruce hagwood hand makes all this stuff himself it's but it's a little bit cheaper than their monarch series and the only reason it's cheaper is because of the labor he has less labor involved because he doesn't have to cut reinforcement hoops and glue them in it's a straight five ply shell with no re rings, but it's still mahogany poplar, just like his uh, Monarch series, which is modeled after the classic drum shell makeup of Ludwig and Slingerland and all those companies back in the day. So it's new for him to have a straight shell. Um, what else does it come with? So it's a 12 
12, 14, 20. And it's also a little cheaper just because it's it's limited in the sizes and the finishes, right? Yeah, yeah. There's two the, two configurations. I believe it's just the 12, 14, 20 or 13, 16, 22 setup. Um, he does not offer the snare anymore, so it's just a shell pack. Uh, finishes are limited as well. Um, did I say what the finishes were in the review? Yeah, there's four four wraps. You can get champagne sparkle like the one in the review. There's a ruby sparkle, dark blue sparkle, and then a classic white marine pearl. So they're all kind of timeless historic finishes. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so this is... Um, so did you know at PASIC when you played it that this was something that you wanted in your personal collection? No, no, but I knew that, um, cause I, he wanted, he's been wanting me to review it for a while. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I also own one of his Monarch kits that I bought from the previous review. <laughs> and that's kind of my like big moody, you know, if, if I'm playing a, a track that's mid tempo and it's in a minor key, that's the kit I go to. Gotcha. Um, so this is kind of like more, uh, I want to describe it. It's kind of more Gretsch-like, for lack of a better way to describe it. Punchier, a little bit, okay, a little bit more, um, maybe a little bit more projection. It just feels a little bit stronger, not as dark. Even though the shell is the same species, I guess maybe because it's a straight shell and there's no re-rings in it. I don't know. I don't know the science, but it just felt a little more, a uh, little bit more contemporary, more, more jazzy, more Gretsch-like, if you will. Well, let's uh, let's give it a listen. Do extra mixing on this to make it 
Less. That's just overheads in a bass drum mic. <laughs> no, that's just what they sound like. Huh. Yeah. Uh, huh. Yep, that's the kit. So, first of all, what uh, I... <laughs> yeah, go Are ahead. you speechless? <laughs> I, I kind of am, yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to gather uh, strength here. Like, that was... There was no bad tuning on it. Nope. Because when you played it high, I was like, oh, cool. Like, now Dawson has, like, just that... It, it really sounds almost like a 50s, 60s round badge yep. bop kit. So I was like, that's great. And then it went to the medium tuning, where I was like, well, it's going to suffer here. It didn't. Went to medium low. Then it went to low, and it still just killed it. So, uh, yeah. I, but I have to say, the one thing that I heard immediately was how if I had to have a session kit, this would be it because it didn't have any crazy personality. It sounded almost like a sampled kit in every tuning. Yeah, and I think one of the, the hidden benefits is the decay is really quick. So there's yeah. there's no ring. There's no like sympathetic resonance. You hit the drum, it makes a beautiful, pure sound, and then it goes away. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's... And you know I liked it tuned really high for that kind of jazz vibe but what it really knocked me out is if i had the the heads barely on at all like just above finger tight there was still tone and they sounded really really dense especially the floor tom so i what i kind of have it set up now is the rack tom is way up there the floor tom is like finger tight and just that contrast is super fun by the way the snare drum in that video is a old slingerland single ply so that that was kind of what i wanted to match this kit with so it does it does it fit with a 50s slingerland sound and i think right. it, it blended perfectly with it so quick question uh the kit in the picture has a snare with it like a matching snare is that part of the price no he okay. he doesn't offer the snares anymore um okay you can, so you, you get still, the 12 you can the... buy a snare separately if you wanted to but yeah you get a sure. two toms and a bass drum either a 12 14 20 or a 13 16 22 and the one that they sent you that you ended up keeping sells for eighteen seventy five. Yep, which is almost a thousand cheaper than the Monarch, which would have been you know fully customized three ply shells. Uh, that kit sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean for under for under two thousand dollars to get a kit like this that you know is completely made by hand. He makes his own shells and everything. I think it's kind of hard to beat. I mean, it is definitely. A type of sound. I would not use this with a modern rock band because it's just not going to project enough. Sure, but I feel like it's it's got a it's like a modern edge to a vintage sound. That's kind of where I feel like his stuff sits. Mm. It's like if a vintage kit is just too vibey and too blunt, this has like just some sheen, some high end sheen and some low end kind of clarity that I don't get from my old Slingerland kit, for instance. Right. Wow. Uh, well, I love it. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, RBH Westwood Series drum set. Uh, Bruce Hagwood is not only clearly a master craftsman, but he's just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the drum industry. And uh, always refreshing to just to just hear him and, and, and get a chance to hang out with him. So um, cool stuff. Uh, so before we move into the listener questions, I have my first vintage kit coming here on oh, monday that's right so next week so you what did you get you got a progressive jazz got a progressive jazz uh so is this so, an exact mirror of your broadcaster 
Size wise, yes, but shell wise, no. So this is sixties round badge, so it is a six ply shell. It's not a okay. three ply shell. So it's more like a so USA would, custom then. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but I, you know, for all of you that have been listening to the podcast, you know, I've been on the hunt for one of these for quite a while now, and so I've been able to find some, but a lot of them are on the East Coast. So what I what I was able to gather from talking to Bryson Nelson at Nelson Drum Company uh, or Nelson Drum Shop, excuse me, was that Gretsch was making uh, 13, 16, 22 on the West Coast for the rock drummers. And then the progressive jazz uh, with the 20, 12, 14, that was all on the East Coast for the jazz drummers and the fusion drummers. That's wild. So, yeah. So, um, but what's happening is that these kits – that are owned are owned by not shops, but by individual parties. And when they do sell them, a lot of times they're not willing to ship them. So it's mm-hmm. always local pickup only Massachusetts. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not going to do a $1,500 plane ticket to yeah, go get right. that kit. <laughs> so it's been really hard to find one. And then every once in a while I'll find one, but uh, it's just not the finish I want. Or I find one and I'll say, hey, is there any way, even with your phone, can you just go play the kit real quick? And it's like, ah, that's not that's not that great Gretsch sound that I'm looking for. Mm. And this one I got from Hawthorne Drum Company. And it literally was, he, he had like four different people play it. Uh, I think he even sent me a video of uh, the, who was it? Dave DeSinto. <laughs> no, no. That's who it was. Brother Dave just ripping chops on it. Uh, it might have been Darren King from Ute Math. He sent me a, a video of somebody playing it. Oh, cool. Um, and But anyways, he sent me a couple of videos, and it even through an iPhone, you were it, you could it sounded actually a lot like this kit that you just demoed. Mm. And I was like, oh, man. So my question to you is that kit gets here Monday. Yep. What do you think, since I've never owned a vintage kit in my life, what do you think I'm going to notice right away? Is it just warm? Is it dead? Yeah, well, I would think you're going to notice some intangible just vibe right away. That's just absent I mean, from all new drums. It's just, There has to be something going on when a piece of wood ages 70 years, right? Yeah, and I assume the heads are probably pretty old on it too, which is, yeah. I think... It, I would definitely leave them on for a while, um, okay, and just kind of sit with it. Yeah, there's there's something I can't describe. I'm trying to find a word for it, but it, it's just a, it's probably just a dark kind of warmer sound, drier sound. But there's just a vibe, especially I notice it mostly in the bass drums. Okay, because like new bass drums, they all have kind of like a click to them. Yeah, vintage drums, most of them that I played, they don't, and that's like the mystery why does that sound big and fluffy <laughs> when the new drum sounds like punchy i don't so much attack yeah. yeah so that's what i would expect you're going to know it's just a rounding of the edges like the the high end be rounded off gotcha i would expect well, I'm excited. maybe not who knows well i will definitely send you a, a video and we'll, we'll put some audio into next week's podcast i also have the thing that you recommended for my current kit i've been getting so much sympathetic tom ring especially from my snare drum uh, that when I hit my snare, there's this overtone, but it's not my snare. It's my rack tom. So you recommended an Oralux uh, drum rug that is kind of dampens. And, and that's your theory on it is because I'm technically playing on a, on top of a cajon. Like I have a hollow yeah. stage that I'm playing on top of. That's what it and sounds like so, to me. Cause you've, 
your your bass drum is muffled, right? Your I mean, pillow pillowed up. Yeah, so and it, yeah, I think that would be my guess is just the floor vibrations are causing it to it's going up through that cymbal stand that you're mounting it off of and just making it sing. Got it. Well, we'll I will the the rug is here. I'll do an A B for the podcast next week, and then uh, we'll also check out the new old. 60s Gretsch round badge in blue sparkle. So are you going to compare that with your USA? Oh, with my USA. Yeah. Um, here's a the, question. The, what happens yeah. if you like the old one better than your beautiful <laughs> uh, root beer? That's the rest of the uh, one, right? The root beer finish. Yeah. So I have the uh, antique maple gloss is their name for it, uh, okay. which is crazy because it looks nothing like maple. And it looks nothing like maple that's been antiqued, but whatever. Uh, but it's like a it's a dark brown with a clear coat. Uh, so yeah, there's also another kit on the way that I haven't told Amber about. What? It's brand new. Well, okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> so all I can tell you is the official word from Gretsch is. What, what was the official word? I think Andrew Shreve said, we're looking into sounds when we were talking about my prototype snare drum. Mm-hmm. I will just say that we've looked into sounds and we like the sounds. So we might be, we might think about moving forward. And if we did, and if I did have to film videos, I wanted a kit that <laughs> contrasted the color of the snare. So I might've had to have ordered a white Marine Pearl USA custom. But I thought it's you already gonna had cause- one. No, I well, I so, I well, I do. I mean, look, it, I'm, I'm the guy here with a basement full of drums, so I can't. Right. I can't say. Okay, anything. so the USA custom I have in in white marine pearl, oddly enough, is my old sizes, twenty two, ten, sixteen. Oh, but right. they changed wrap um, distributors or or sorry manufacturers since that time, so I can never get another drum to match that kit. I would happily just say. Send me 2012 14, and I'll add to that kit. So that kit now has all the flexibility, but it's actually, they don't make that finish. So they've just come out with a new finish based off of a drum that Paul Cooper had from the 50s, at where it was like in immaculate shape. And so it's now called their, or maybe it was from the 60s. It's called their 60s White Marine Pearl. Okay. And I guess it is a little bit different than normal White Marine Pearl and a little bit different than their, even their, uh, I think they have one called vintage marine pearl this i guess has a little more blue to it so uh whatever so i've got that kit's gonna it's gonna be a while till that kit gets here but don't i don't you know what dude whatever and i have a theory that the vintage kit's gonna smoke them all i know i'm, I'm well i'm kind of scared about that but if it did then sweet you know as long as it's a gretch i'm happy man i'm i'm totally happy i will say this uh We'll get into the snare drum talk way later as it gets further down the road, but I can promise you, I currently have my favorite snare drum that I've ever owned, and that's all I've ever wanted out of Gretsch. And I even I've I've even talked to Andrew. I said, dude, like I don't ever want to be in that position where I'm wishing that I had a separate snare drum endorsement because there's this group of snares that I love more than Gretsch. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in that position and. I am currently in the position where I just had to send mine back to uh, to Gretsch uh, in Oxnard for for them to check some things out before we go any further, and it killed me to box it up. And I've never had that feeling before about a snare that I owned, you know. So uh, cool. obviously, it's not going to be anything like 
a $1,200 boutique snare drum, but it won't be in that price range. But as far as just an off-the-shelf snare, this is like my dream snare. So we'll get into it later if it moves forward. For now, listener questions. All right. So this one is for you. This is from Ian. Um, You mentioned recently that you'd rather have a lower level kit in your preferred sizes than a high-end kit in sizes that you don't dig. Will you expand on that and explain why and how sizes are more important? Absolutely. So great question. And the sizes determine your comfort level on the drum set. Uh, As soon as you get a bigger bass drum, bigger rack toms, bigger floor toms, it you as a drummer feel smaller and everything just feels a little off. Now I can, when I'm playing a clinic, I'd be hard pressed to tell you in a clinic situation where I've got in ears and we're in this massive, massive room. If you said, which one is the Tama silver star and which one is the Tama, whatever their highest, you know, star classic or whatever. I don't know that I could tell once it's mic'd up and compressed, uh, Maybe I could tell, but I don't know if it'd be a huge difference. And the same goes for Gretsch. If I was playing a Catalina in my sizes, man, that comfort there in 2012-14 just is like heaven for me. And then if somebody said, no, but we've got a broadcaster in 24-13-18, I'd be like, dude. Yeah. That's like – matter. Yeah. I mean that would be like going from uh, – you know, one of those Honda crotch rockets to a Harley. It's like, well, this isn't really the same thing anymore, even though they're both motorcycles. So yeah, for me, the the feel that I get off the instrument or behind the kit, I should say, is really based off the sizes of the drums. And that can be thrown off quickly. Even if somebody's like, oh, I'm sorry, all we had was a 13-inch snare. It's like, oh, that's cool. I love 13s. And then when I play it, I'm like, wow, this is a the, one inch is a big difference. I can definitely mm. feel the difference. Um, and I play different. And, and also, those drums react different. So if I was playing 22, 13, 16, it, I'm going to start playing a lot slower, bigger notes, it's just going to be a different type of drumming than I've that I'm used to playing. So, yeah, and I think again that the, the entry level kits are such a high level now that you know it's- that's the thing is it's never going to be Gretsch USA Custom or JoJo Percussion. You know, it's like mm-hmm. even a Catalina. I'm like, dude, that's fine. I'm good. Yeah, those are renowned. Kids. Fine. Yeah, I'm good. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd prefer to have that comfort level. And also when I mentioned that i'm always thinking in my head about traveling so everything i can do to get visually and feel wise things close as close to home as possible that's what i want more than knowing that this rack tom is made out of a better material than that rack tom dig it all right next one is from andrew i was wondering if you guys ever get in a nostalgic mood and play music from your past like when the cameras aren't rolling and you're by yourself in your studio does Dawson throw on some old school punk or does Johnson throw on some rage against the corn tones and jam along? <laughs> what about you, buddy? It's a hard one for me to answer. I was reading through this thinking, well, I, yeah, I still listen to the Ramones every once in a while. I still listen to, I mean, the thing is I came up listening to music from all different eras right away. So it, there's really no nostalgia attached to any of it. And I'm not a very nostalgic person in general. Maybe it's because I'm just dead inside, but I just don't, <laughs> I just don't like long for the past ever in any moment in my life. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm always listening to Zeppelin and the things I probably don't go back to, like 311 and some of the bands that when I was a teenager, kind of related to my teenage kind of view of the world, some of the Chili Peppers and things. I don't really go back to that anymore, but anything is timeless, like the Ramones and. Uh, I mean, I was in a. I've listened to jazz since sixth grade, so I mean, again, it's it's kind of hard to not keep listening to Elvin Jones. So yeah, no. I mean, yes and no. Did I answer it? <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah. I'm. I I actually carved time out of my practice schedule for the end to always be me playing along to a song that reminds me why I play drums. It could be a brand new song. Mm, okay. I've been playing along to a lot of Billie Eilish lately. Uh, or it could be a lot of times it's just Genesis because there's some hole that Phil has on me that just reminds me of why I play drums. And especially after a long, frustrating practice, there's probably two or three old Genesis tunes. I'll put on like carpet crawlers and it's a pretty simple groove. Uh, it's a fast, like 30 second hi hat thing, but it's, 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 it's actually quite simple. And I just close my eyes and vibe out for a while. Uh, or sometimes it's Peter Gabriel, but I'm the same with you. I never go back to what I would actually consider my biggest growth period in my in my drumming, which was in the teens. I, I never go back and play Jerry was a race car driver by Primus. Yeah, um, yeah, that era. I don't play Bulls on Parade. I don't play Even Flow by Pearl Jam. Um, and and when I hear it on the radio, I don't think I need to get to a drum set. But if I hear Walking on the Moon by the Police. I actually do think I need to get to a drum set and go play that. I haven't played that forever. It's um, funny. I did just recently go back and listen to. Um, I'm not even sure what took me down this path. It was, oh, it was someone discussing Chris Cornell and how great of a singer he was. And so I went back and listened to the um, Temple of the Dog record. That was maybe oh, yeah. the most important record of that era for me. Kind of defined what I thought music should be when I was 13, 14 years old. And there's some, I mean, some of the stuff Matt Cameron's playing on that record is, it still knocks me out. Is it, what's the song called? Wooden Jesus, I think it's called. Yeah. That is an amazing beat. And Your Savior opens with a pretty killer groove. That's the most recent thing I went back to. And um, some Soundgarden stuff. But it wasn't for nostalgia. It was just to take a listen to what he was doing again and, and hear it with fresh ears. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I love playing to songs that I loved. And, and I, I will say this, though. The one thing that's not on my mind when I'm doing that stuff is is drumming. I'm not thinking like, oh, I got to figure out Phil's exact notation for paper late or no reply at all. I'm, I'm not thinking that at all. I'm thinking, what's a song that's going to put me in the mood that I need to be in to drive home happy? Because, mm. damn, that was a rough practice session. <laughs> I'm hating myself a little bit right now, and I need to go home happy, and I'll throw on something that just – gives me that no matter what the drumming is you know yeah all right let's go with uh one more this is from michael actually it's a two-parter what microphone would you recommend to use as a single overhead for your kit if money was not a factor and then the second part what would you recommend to use as a single head single overhead on a tight budget oh man well you kind of have yours I do, and uh, I, I I would actually like to do some more experimenting with other companies because I don't like when my recommendations always align with my endorsements. I want to be more, especially for my students, a little more open than that. I will say, though, that uh, out of the microphones that I've owned, what I have right now, which is the Audio-Technica 5045, is my dream overhead. It happens to also be their 
largest diaphragm condenser microphones. So the diaphragm is the biggest diaphragm they have in any of their microphones, even though it doesn't look like it. But I would warn anybody, don't buy that microphone unless you're willing to mix it because it's also extremely honest and it's like recording video in raw. It's giving you all the data so you can do whatever you want, but it does not sound good on its own because it gave you all the data. So you're going to have to pull out some mids and learn how to use that microphone. As far as on a budget, the microphone that I'm actually recording this podcast on is the Audio-Technica 4040 or AT4040. I think it's like 350 bucks. I I've re- I've replaced my 5045 with it a few times and it might be the best all-around microphone I own. Yeah, again, it's like the the tight budget, quote-unquote, stuff is really good these days. Um, so for me, I wouldn't... I mean, I, I know a lot of people swear by Kohl's and Neumann's and so on and so forth. I've never had those in my studio, nor do I want to have something that expensive in my studio. Um, I can get the all the sound I need from a Shure KSM32 overhead, which I think is like an $800, $900 microphone. I don't remember. Large diaphragm condenser sounds great. It's not super expensive. So you don't have to worry about you know it destroying it. Um, and then, especially with the coals, because if, if you send phantom power to a to a ribbon mic, it'll just fry it, and then you're out several thousand bucks. Um, yeah, so that would be my kind of def- default one mic for the kit. And would that technically be a tight budget mic? No, but I think you could still kind of justify it. KSM 32, 800 bucks, get full on overhead sound. You don't need to spend much more than that. Um, but I'm with Mike. I think anything by Audio Technica that's in the $200 range, large diaphragm condenser, is going to sound good. Yeah, that, you know, I mean, even that AT2020, it's, it's 100 bucks. And besides it having a little too much sizzle, you, you can just roll off the high end a little bit, and it's awesome. And, for the people that have seen my videos with the two mics set up and they go like, well, dude, I mean, with two of those, it's 2,500 bucks. I replace both of those microphones with two $99 microphones, the Audio-Technica AT2020. And if you're listening through your phone and not through like reference monitors, it's almost hard to tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just did a, a review for the next issue where I had like an entire seven-piece mic kit with overheads tom three toms snare drum bass drum the whole thing was like 250 bucks oh really by cad Uh uh-huh and i gotta say it sounded fine it sounded good it sounded totally fine (laughs) a lot of it's going to come down to you being able to mix and being able to to get a, a, a good sound but that you know i will say that at least in my opinion audix has always excelled in the we'll do it for you category mm if you get a decent Audix large diaphragm condenser overhead and then an Audix D6 in the kick, you're going to have a, a very awesome sound without even mixing. Yeah. Dig it. All right. So we got time for one more. Is that it? No, we're at the it's hour. Time for- it's time to get the heck out of here. Ah, people are like, I can't run anymore. <laughs> Wrap it up, mics. Guys are in slow mo. Hit the t- two times as fast button and let's get this thing rolling. All right. <laughs> what is your pick of the week, sir? Uh, I want to give you an option. Do you want an album recommendation or an an app, a metronome app? You know what? I'm going to tell you right now, as a generous friend, I'm going to give you both. All right. That has nothing to do with me not having a pick of the week. (laughs) I have like a really good one, but I'm just going to shelve mine in favor of yours. 
<laughs> All righty then. So the first one is an album that I had no idea came out 18 years ago by the great saxophonist Chris Potter. The album is called Gratitude, and it features uh, one of my all-time favorite drummers, Brian Blade, on the entire record. And the whole record is, each track is dedicated to a saxophone hero of of Chris Potter's, John Coltrane, Joe Henderson, Sonny Rollins, Eddie Harris, Wayne Shorter, Michael Brecker, so on and so forth. But what I like about this is it's recorded very honestly. The drums are very present and not overly mixed. There's some funky odd time kind of stuff in there. There's some swinging stuff. There's some groovy stuff. But just to hear Brian Blade play where you where it sounds like you're just standing right over his left shoulder, uh, it's it's dumbfounding how great the man is. And he always sounds his drum sound is always the same. It's it's uncanny how he always sounds like himself. So it's called Gratitude by Chris Potter. Amazing record that I totally overlooked when it came out in 2001. Checking it out right now. That's pick number one. Pick number two is the app that I alluded to, I think, last week when we were talking about Pfeiffer Drums. Um, Darren Pfeiffer also created a very simple 99-cent metronome app called Knockbox. And it's super simple. Basically, it's a metronome that does one thing where the you can set the phrasing to where every two measures, the the pulse gets spread out by half. So it'll be quarter notes, half notes, whole notes. You can have it you can have it spread every two measures, every four measures, every eight measures, every sixteen measures, or you can just have it be a regular old metronome. As far as just a simple way, I use this when I'm playing like rudimental snare drum solos and I'm trying not to pay attention to it, so I'm not obsessing over it, but I'm if I if I hear the click kind of just a little bit off. I know my timing's a little wacky. So it's a great way to work on on gap click style stuff without it being like a predetermined gap click. It just loops. So it goes from quarters to half notes to whole notes on whatever loop you you program it for. Um, So it's simple, 99 cents. It's been a fun addition to my morning routine. Um, I practice with a 16th note click to get real kind of microscopic. And then I always zoom out and do something or gap click type with this. So called knockbox, two words. N K K N O C K B O X. So the App Store. I don't know if it's on Android, but I know it's definitely for uh, iPhones. Absolutely. Awesome. We'll check that out. Buddy, the next time I talk to you, I'm gonna be in the middle of a camp. Yeah. I will have a new drum rug. I will have a vintage kit. It's gonna I mean I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Now, are you going to have the vintage kit set up for the camp? Okay. I don't want to call anybody out here, but I did ask the guy when I bought it. I have a camp starting on Sunday. If I buy this on your website right now, can you get it here before the campers get here? He was like, absolutely. Boom. Paid the money. By the way, I haven't bought a drum set in a long time. It hurts. I'm excited, (laughs) but it hurts. It was a a lot of money. It was a a lot of money. So anyways, bought the kit. Get the shipping confirmation. It was like, your kid will be here Monday. I was like, oh, I wanted them to walk in and just, you know, think they're going to see the the my kind of wood finished USA custom. I wanted them to walk in and just right on the stage of this blue sparkle vintage 60s kit. At the same time, I don't know all the campers that are showing up. Do I really want them? 
to be the first people to play this kit? I don't know. <laughs> Might just take it straight home. So we'll see what happens. But I'll, I'll have the kit. I want the campers to check it out. I mean, that was the main purpose of having it here besides me getting a chance to experience a vintage kit was I, I want them to feel the difference and hear the difference of a vintage kit versus a brand new one, especially since it's the same company. And so I don't have to, I'm not a being a vintage Slingerland versus a modern Gretsch. Yeah, that's going to be super fun. I, again, I would urge you to resist the temptation to change the heads right away. Well, I can't until Aquarian makes me new heads with, uh, with their modern vintage hoops. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Cause the regular so, heads are going to be too tight probably. Yeah. So I'm waiting on that. Cause I was like, well, I, I don't want to play, you know, their, I think their modern vintage has that kind of yellow vintage mm-hmm. look. I was like, I want to play my normal head, you know, just the single ply texture coated, but can you make it with those hoops so that it'll fit on the new kit? So they're making those for me now. So if, yeah, I mean, Chris Brady, if you see a couple videos and there's whatever heads are on there, <laughs> it's not my fault, man. <laughs> I'll put some gaff tape over the logos, but all right, everybody have an amazing day. Thanks for listening so much. If you get a chance, head over to iTunes, give us a review and a rating. That stuff helps other drummers find this podcast. Who's our outro beat? This is a beat by uh, Finn McLean over in Bristol. So he's got a little story. This is a, a drum and bass track that, that originally he and um, I guess it was his bass player they were kind of joking around about how kind of silly drum and bass is but then they realized they had written something that needed drum and bass so now they have to play drum and bass at every gig they play so it's kind of one of those oh nice be careful it's like me uh, saying I would never live in New Jersey and then here I am living in New Jersey for 15 years (laughs) (laughs) so this is Finn McLean sending us out with some drum and bass awesome thanks Finn 